Have you ever found yourself wondering about the role that Canadians played in old-time radio? Well, wonder no more. During the next 60 minutes, we'll delve into the careers of actors, writers, and directors who went abroad to find work, as well as those who stayed right here in Canada. Join me as together we explore Canadians in old-time radio. there. I'm Devin Wilkins and this is Canadians and Old Time Radio. We have a busy night tonight so let's get right to it. We're going to first of all from our Made in Canada file hear an episode of Blair of the Mounties from March 14th 1938. Blair of the Mounties, a story of the Royal Northwest Mounted Police. We present the seventh episode in Blair of the Mountain. Let us picture for a moment the beauty of the North Country in the fall. The still, hazy days of Indian summer. The scarlet flame of the maple leaves against the deep green of the spruce. The quiet lakes shining like jewels in the calm sunshine. A vast, silent land where there are no cities, no crowds. A land that draws men back to it from all the busy turmoil of the outer world. Well, I guess this is Fort McAllister. Looks to be a landing over there. What do you say, Doctor? Yes, yes, that's it. Better turn in, George. Ah, this is the life, Catherine. Just look at that long stretch of river. How quiet it is in the sunshine. Hmm. I hope you're satisfied. Now we've arrived at the place you're always talking about. I hope we get a decent place to sleep. Oh, come now, Catherine. It'll do you good to rough it a little. This is just what you need after all those parties in New York. Personally, I'll be glad when we get back to civilization. Hello. Who's that old gent on the bank? Good day, Steve. Uh, we're looking for Mr. McGregor, the Hudson Bay factor. Well, no. I'm Angus McGregor. Well, what can I do for you? Uh, well, we're up here on a hunting trip, Mr. McGregor. My name's Manning. We have a letter from Stuart, your company agent in New York. Ah, aye. Ah, glad to meet you, sir. I had word for Stuart. Ah, good. Uh, this is uh, Dr. Gibson and Mrs. Gibson. Who are you, ma'am? How, do you, How do? do you do, sir? Will you know come ashore and uh, step over to the fort? Well, thanks. Come on, Kate. Gracious, yes. I am glad to get out of that wretched canoe. All right. Oh, uh, coming, Doctor? No, I think I'll sit here a while and smoke my pipe. You two run along. No, all right. Well, Mr. McGregor, how's the hunting up here? Ah, uh, there's plenty of it. Elk and mule deer and caribou. And then there's swans of geese and duck. And all the fishing you'll want in the lake. Mm, that's the stuff. But how about beaver and otter and so on? Ah, <laughs> no, Mr. Manning. Uh, the season's no open. It's too early. You cannot touch the beaver. What? But say, what's to stop us from picking up a few specimens away up here in this wilderness? We'll serve no offense to you. 
But I wouldn't have betrayed it. You'll hear the mounted police after you, quick as a flash. They're awful efficient, you can. Oh, yes. Well, uh, I'm not figuring to break the law, understand. Oh, I've heard of the mounted police, of course. <laughs> Rather a romantic lot with that comic opera uniform of theirs. <laughs> I will. You'll find there's nothing romantic about them when it comes to police work. Well, I suppose a ten-dollar bill would loosen things up some, oh, eh? Hootman, be careful what you say. If one of the laddies in the red coats puts his hand on you, how the money and influence in the world wouldn't save you. Wish no. Here's one of the police, the new. Hello, Angus. Yeah, good morning, Sergeant. Shake hands with Mr. Manning. He's a while up here for the hunting. Glad to meet you, Mr. Manning. Mm, how are you, Sergeant? <laughs> well, well. All the majesty of the law, eh? <laughs> Anything I can do for you, Mr. Manning? Well, not at present. You and I will have to get better acquainted. I may want a little information. That'd be of service, Mr. Manning. Well, Mr. Manning, bring the lady up to the fort, and uh, I'll be seeing you later on. All right, Mr. McGregor. Sergeant, I was uh, just uh, wondering about the young hunting party that went up to Cedar Lake yesterday. Funny you should say that. I've been wondering about them, too. Eh? What do you think of them? Oh, I don't know. I like Dr. Gibson very much. Aye, he looks like a fine man. He's a famous surgeon, they tell me, and a real sportsman. Yes, the sort of man one likes to see up here. That fellow Manning got on my nerves a bit. Hmm. I wonder why the doctor brought him up here. Yeah, I'm thinking it was the wife's doing. You know, I didn't like him myself. And he's, he's, he's awful friendly with Mrs. Gibson. Yes, of course, he's more his own age. You know, Sergeant, I, I hate to be talking about a woman. But there's something that's uh, no just right about Mrs. Gibson. Oh, well, it's no funeral of ours. She's just a spoiled city woman, used to luxury and admiration. Mm, I'm thinking there's more to it than that. What do you mean, Angus? Oh, Nathan, of course, Sergeant, but... Uh, Weel, I wouldn't have wanted anything to happen. You see, I'm responsible to the company, and I just wanted to put you on your guard. Yes, but I don't see why... Weel, no, uh, now you do this for me, Sergeant. Just keep an eye on that party in case anything happens. Certainly, Angus. I half a mind to anyway. Joe the Indian has a trap line up at Cedar Lake. He's up there every day getting ready for winter. I'll talk to him. Fine. That's all I want. My, my, that white fish tasted good. Oh, it wasn't so bad. If only everything wasn't so sticky. Oh, I haven't had a decent bath for a week. How much longer do we stay here, Henry? Why, we've only just got here, Catherine. Why don't you try a swim in the lake? The water's beautiful. Goodness, me swim in that cold water? Nothing doing. Oh, all right. I, I tell you, let's go down to the pool above the rapids. You know there are a couple of beavers working there? The cutest little beggars you ever saw. Oh, for heaven's sakes, go on and leave me in peace. I want to read. Oh, all right, my dear, all right. I, I'll be back in about half an hour. Don't hurry. Beavers, huh? <laughs> Picture me crawling through the grass to look at beavers. <laughs> oh, hello, George. Hello, sweetness. Daddy gone? Yes, he's gone. For heaven's sake, shut the door. He's gone to look at the beavers. Well, 
What are you flying the storm signals for? Anything the matter? Matter? Everything's the matter. You know, I detest this filthy country just as much as Henry raves about it. Do you hear me? I'm sick of it. Morning, noon, and night, all I hear is beautiful scenery, beautiful sunsets, beautiful nights. Oh, give me a cigarette before I choke. Well, well, lady, you sure got a full head of steam on. Well, when are you going to do something? You know what we came up here for? Now, easy, bright eyes, easy. What's the use of blowing off? Well, why don't you get busy? That's all right. I'm working on it, but we've got to look out for that sergeant. You're not afraid of him, are you? Afraid? No, but he's no fool. No, he's a different friend to the men one usually meets. I tried to make up to him at the fort, but there was nothing doing. Yes, I noticed that. Oh, well, it was nothing serious, George. He just looked right through me with those gray eyes of his. Mm, Guess I'm not... he's He's not my sort. I suppose it's because you and I are both so rotten that we get along together. Well, that's all right with me, baby. Say, you checked up on that will? Everything goes to you? Oh, sure. I checked up in New York. It's all mine if anything happens to Henry. Okay. And say, don't get so sore at Henry. Just kid him along, see? Oh, all right. Leave it to me. Look out. Well, 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 Catherine. Still reading? My, but there's a beautiful moon. Yes, I was admiring it through the window, Henry. That's right, my dear. You know the only way to real happiness is to be conscious of the beauty around you. Hello, is that you, Kate? Yes, I heard that call of yours. What do you want? Listen. That Indian they put on to watch us is gone, headed up the river for the fort. I'm wise to their game, and now's our chance. Oh, not tonight, George. Yes, tonight, right now. Oh, heavens. What What do you want me to do? Just stay out. Duck around to the back of the cabin, see? I'll get him out. Leave it all to me. Well, all right, but don't slip up on this. You know what it means if you do. Beat it. Get out of sight. Oh, all right. Doctor! Doctor! Yes, yes. What is it, George? It's, it's Catherine. She's headed for the pool. The pool? Catherine? Why? Oh, hurry, Doctor. She's half crazy. No telling what she'll do. Now, you go ahead. You know the way. Good heavens, yes. Yes. Come, quickly. Follow me, George. You... You sure she went this way, George? Yes, yeah, sure. Hurry up, Doctor. All right. All right. There. There's the pool right ahead. Now, take a look over the bank. Here. Here, Manny. What, what? He's gone. Hey, open up quick. Well, George, what happened? Just as I told you. It's okay, girly. Works like a charm. All the police in the world will never find out a thing. Well, tell me, George... Oh, I've got to know. How did you manage it? Why, simple enough. You remember that stuff that Henry made up for putting animals to sleep when he took them out of a trap? No, what was it? Well, he had it in a blue bottle on the shelf. Chloroform, mostly. But it acts instantly. (laughs) Henry told me it would put a man out in four seconds. Get the idea? But that wouldn't kill anybody, you poor simp. I know, I know. Well, he was ahead of me. When he leaned over the bank, I gave him the works on the handkerchief. He went out like a light. Then I pushed him over the bank. Saw him go over the rapids. Uh, he drowned before he came to. Pretty neat, eh, girlie? Oh, shut up! Get me a drink, for heaven's sake. Oh, all right, all right. Here you are. Take a good one. 
Pretty soon we'll miss Henry, see? Then we'll drift back to the fort and say he's lost. When they find him, there won't be a scrap of evidence to tie us up with it. All right. I hope it's that easy. You better clear out now. I want to figure things out. All right, Kitty. Pleasant dreams. <laughs> Mon Sergeant, are you sure of this? Dead sure, Angus. Uh, but you, you haven't any evidence. I haven't, eh? You wait and see. But Sergeant, you know this is serious. They're guests of the company. Oh, yes? Well, they'll soon be guests of the government. Shh, look out. Here they come. Good evening, Mr. Manning. Evening, Mrs. Gibson. Listen, Sergeant. I've got very serious news for you. Really? Yes. Dr. Gibbons has been missing from our camp since last night. We've searched everywhere. Indeed? Yes, you see, Sergeant, I didn't worry yesterday. My husband's often out all day. But when he didn't return last night, I got anxious. Yes, I see. Come on now, Sergeant. Don't look so solemn. We want action. Well, the doctor may be hurt in the bush somewhere. I want a search party. Now, how about it? Just a minute. Uh, Mrs. Gibson, will you step outside a minute? I want to talk to Mr. Manning. But I don't see... Sure, go ahead, Kate. I want to talk to him, too. All right. Now, Mr. Manning... What did you want to say? Just this. You get busy with that search party or I'm going to have a complaint to make when I get back to Ottawa. What sort of a complaint? Well, what's the idea of putting that Indian to spy on our camp? That, Mr. Manning, was because I was concerned for the safety of Dr. Gibson. The what? Say, what is this comic policeman stuff anyway? Furthermore, I have information that you made an attempt on the life of Dr. Gibson at 11.40 last night. Why, you're crazy. That Indian went back to the fort last night. Unfortunately for you, there was another Indian. Not 20 yards from you. When you push Dr. Gibson into the water. It's a dirty lie. I never did it. Why, you're trying to frame me. Look out. Stop him, Angus. Look out now. I didn't know uh, Manning. You can't keep me here. You can't prove it. Just a minute. Manning, there's somebody here I want you to meet. Come in, Dr. Gibson. Henry. Henry! Alive. Yes. No thanks to you. George Manning, I arrest you for the attempted murder of Dr. Gibson. Anything you say may be used against you as evidence. But listen, I want a lawyer. Go on. Get inside. You have heard the seventh episode in Blair of the Mounties. Our next chapter portrays a detective adventure of Sergeant Blair in England, entitled The Hamilton Mystery. from our Made in Canada file, here's an episode of Nabob Coffee Time from March 27th, Good morning, folks. You know, Nabob coffee is fast becoming a household word throughout Canada. Housewives have learned that Nabob is a grand coffee which satisfies every member of the family. And you know, we're also glad to see that you like Nabob flavoring. We know you found these flavorings to be different and more satisfactory to anything you've ever used. Remember these two products the next time you go to your grocer. Nabob coffee and Nabob flavoring. 
It's Monday morning, good people. At exactly 16 minutes past 8 Nabob Coffee Time, this is yours truly, Bernie Mannion, coming to attention smartly, sir. Then from the right, number one. That's enough. <laughs> okay, you're first. Pick up the musket and take the vocal cords for a root mark. Little bit lonesome, little bit blue. Cleaning my rifle, dreaming of you. Beautiful memory coming to view. While cleaning my rifle and dreaming of you. That goodbye kiss you left on my lips is still just like new. And the dream you left in my heart will someday come true. But in the meantime, think of me too. Cleaning my rifle and dreaming of you. That's right, Higgy. Everything is self-explanatory. What is self-explanatory? Situation, of course, Amelia. What situation? <laughs> Today's situation, Norton. We're saluting the Army today. Why didn't someone tell me? I could have worn my pajamas. Uh -uh. Now, what does a suit of pajamas got to do with the Army? 
To him, it's just another fatigue suit. <laughs> and that remark seems to call for fatigue duty. Company, forward march. <laughs> Twenty-two minutes past eight, Nabob coffee time. Bernie, do we have to salute with a cannon? Well, what's wrong with using a cannon, Amelia? Nothing. What does it make so much noise? So does Norton, but we have him around all the time. You don't understand, Evie. I mean, a cannon has a certain boom about it. That's Norton. What Norton says Norton? <laughs> That's boom Amelia's talking about. <laughs> Are you insinuating, Mr. Higgins? Never mind, never mind. We'll throw the boom out. Go ahead. I can get another job. Oh, no, Jackie boy. <laughs> don't leave me now. I need you. Oh, I need you. Especially right now. Ready? <laughs> take it easy. Well, you're not ready. Wait a minute, kid. Look at that music. I what a mess. Why don't you take care music. of your stuff? Okay. <laughs> the last piece of music I'll give you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
that being the new marching song, we'll have another command. Ready, aim, fire! I get it. We're continuing our Armored Ace salute at exactly 25 minutes past 8, Napalm Coffee Time. I thought you were going to throw the boom out. No, no. Higgy said he needed them. Uh-oh. Oh. I shouldn't have said that, should I? <laughs> there you go again. Hand me my fiddle. I'm going home. Now, look here, Mr. Norton. The boom we're talking, to, talking about happens to come from the cannon we're using this morning. And furthermore, <laughs> not only that, <laughs> the cannon happens to be a bass drum. Now what have you to say for yourself? I'm a bad boy. Well, you certainly are, Jackie boy. Now you go stand in the corner while our little lady of song makes with the melody. After days and days of careful consideration, I finally know what you mean. That's what redundancy does for you. You're on your way.
Thanks, Amelia. Folks, do you like a really stimulating cup of coffee early in the morning? Well, the answer to your problem is Nabob. Nabob is a coffee that will give you perfect satisfaction every time. You can always be sure of the same quality and goodness in every package of Nabob. For it's freshly roasted... And, and now from our Canadians Abroad file, we have an episode of Screen Guild Theatre from November 8, 1943, featuring Carmen Manitoba native Jack Carson in George Washington Slept Here. <laughs> Lady Esther presents the Screen Guild Players. The Screen Guild play tonight, George Washington Slept Here. The starring players, this is Jack Carson. And this is Carol Landis. Tonight, Lady Esther presents the Screen Guild players in a radio adaptation of Warner Brothers' rollicking comedy, George Washington Slept Here, by George S. Kaufman and Moss Hart. It stars Jack Carson as Bill Fuller and Carol Landis as his wife, Connie. The Lady Esther Screen Guild players in George Washington Slept Here. Miles from the city. Isn't it wonderful? No noise, no smoke. Well, I like this city. I even like smoke. Smoke makes a city seem so lived in. Oh, just smell that air. Smells like a damp dog. <laughs> oh, Bill, look. That's our new house. Our new house? Connie, are you telling me that that moth-eaten, termite-ridden pile of rotten boards is our house? You mean without saying a word, you've taken our hard-earned money and bought that... that rabbit hutch? Oh, Bill. Honey, I think you've lost your mind. Ah, oh, Bill, you're going to love this. It's hundreds of years old. Think of it, darling. George Washington actually slept in this very house. Yeah? With all those cracks in the wall, it's a wonder the wind didn't blow him out of bed. Ah, <laughs> oh, look at this living room. Two hundred years ago, it was full of colonial soldiers. If only these walls could talk. Well, I can, and I want to go back to town. Oh, uh, oh, hello, Mr. Kemper. Uh, this is my husband. Uh, howdy. I've been showing him through the house. Be careful of upstairs floors, ma'am. One of them caved in last month. Just up and gave away. <laughs> well, Mr. Kemper is the caretaker. I see. Uh, have, uh, have you been here 200 years, too, Mr. Kemper? Uh, let's see now. I came here in, uh... No. No, it was, uh... No. Yeah. No, I haven't. <laughs> Come along, Bill. Upstairs is the bedroom George Washington slept in just before going to Yorktown. Can't you just buy me a book on American history and let me read it on West 27th Street? Right now, I'm hot and thirsty. Oh, Bill, I believe you're really angry. Angry? 
I could spit from here to Mount Vernon. <laughs> Look at this goat's nest. Looks like half the battles of the Revolution were fought down there in the living room. Uh, just wait till you see this place a month from now. We're going to remodel the whole thing, and Mr. Kimber is going to superintend it. I'm thirsty. I want to drink a water. Oh, uh, Mr. Kimber. Uh, yes, Miss Fuller. Where's the water faucet? Mr. Fuller wants a drink. Uh, no faucets in the house, ma'am. Isn't there any water at all anywhere? Well, there's the brook. Well, who's going to drink brook water? Fished you right good on it. I can understand that. This is a great spot for suckers. Look, Mr. Kimber, couldn't we just... Couldn't we just dig a well and find water? Nothing to stop you doing that. Only takes 30 to 60 days. Oh, goody, I'll just put the drink off a month or two. <laughs> I really wasn't thirsty anyhow. <laughs> the fine thing, a guy's either got to be a fish and drink in the brook or a camel and never touch the stuff. I think... Oh, oh, oh! Oh, Bill, look! Shame on you. You fell right through the ceiling. Huh? Just up and gave away, didn't she? Are you hurt, Mr. Fuller? No, no, I loved it. George Washington slept here. I know now what drove him to Valley Forge. The firing line is less dangerous than this seven-room booby trap. Your name, Fuller? That's right. My name is Prescott. I own the house next door. This road you're using to drive up to your house is my road. Your road? There must be some mistake. You see, I, I, I own this house. My wife and I just bought it. Did you buy the road? Well, no, of course not. But don't roads usually go with houses? Not this road, Mr. Fuller. I built this road with my own money, and you, sir, are trespassing. Well, how are we supposed to get to our house? Parachute in? <laughs> how you manage it is no concern of mine. All I can say is you'll have to build your own road. Good day, Mr. Fuller. Who was it, Bill? Our neighbor, Mr. Prescott. Nice guy. Owns roads and things. Says the road leading to our property belongs to him and we can't use it. We're trapped. I'm a man without a road. But, dear, there's another road to the woods back of the house. Yeah? Maybe we ought to trade our car in for a pack mule and an Indian guide. Now, Bill, I'll check with the real estate agent in the morning. By all means, do. Maybe the house doesn't belong to us either. That'll be the best news I've had all week. Oh, here, Bill. Help me unpack the rest of these cooking utensils. We'll never get dinner if Hester doesn't get the rest of her pots and pans. For the love of Mike, listen to that noise. Is Mr. Kimmer going to be drilling for water all summer? There's so many holes in the backyard now, it looks like an army of gophers were working a swing shift. Well, Mr. Kimber says the new well looks very promising. He thinks we're going to strike it this time. Yeah? He'll strike gold before he strikes water. Miss Fuller? Miss Fuller, I'm quitting. I can't work in that kitchen. What's the matter this time, Hester? That animal and Mr. Kimball's walked right through the wall that ain't got no door. Well, it's only a horse. Only a horse? Bill, help has to get the poor animal out of the kitchen. A horse must be out of its head to walk into a kitchen in times like these. <laughs> Scram, dog biscuit. Go on back to Crosby. There. <laughs> there you are, Hester. Now, once that wall gets up, it won't happen again. The poor horse is probably just as scared as you are. Oh, I ain't scared. I'm just not used to cooking and riding side saddle at the same time. <laughs> Look, Connie, we've been in this country jail 30 days. No road, wall in the kitchen still out, floors that may turn into trap doors any moment, and even the OPA couldn't put a ceiling on this house. But... 
Bill, it, it takes a little time to get everything all fixed up. Uh, pardon me, Mr. Spuller, but I ordered the gravel. Going to need another load, too. We figured $42, but the bill says around $135. Price of lime's gone up, too. And there's the trees, you know. Trees? What do we have to do about the trees? Pay them for standing there? No, but you got to spray them, Mr. Fuller. Oh. If we don't, they'll have to get elm blight or oak bar. Mm-hmm. And then there are caterpillars and the measuring worm. Is that all, Mr. Kimber? Well, there's the Japanese beetle. Japanese? Does Mr. Prescott have Japanese beetles? No, just you. <laughs> You mean all the way from Japan they came to pick on me? Uh, was there anything else, Mr. Kemper? Well, we need a couple of truckloads of fertilizer. It's $45 a load now. Forty-five? You know, when fertilizer costs more than sirloin steak, it makes you stop and think. <laughs> uh, then let's see. Uh, we're going to need six truckloads of dirt. Dirt? Connie. First we got no water, then we got no road, but now a farm and no dirt. That's too much. Bill, sometimes I just don't understand you. Here you are face to face with the most wonderful thing in the world, nature. And all you see are a few insignificant trivialities. That's all very fine. I love it here, Connie. Just us and the insects. But where's the money coming from to pay for all of this? Look at this little note from the county. Extra assessment county poorhouse, $21.30. I suggest we pay that and move right in. Oh, Bill, at least you should feel better now that we have water. Just think, ever since early this morning, 40 gallons a minute. Mr. Fuller. Oh, hello, Mr. Prescott. What can I do for you? Mr. Fuller, you have just put a well down on my property. You're drawing my water. You know something, Mr. Prescott? I breathed some of your air today, too. (laughs) Come on, sue me. Why, Mr. Prescott, I... See here, Prescott, we put no well down on your property. Don't tell me. Your property ends at the brook. Why don't you look at your deed first instead of having a man go out and dig wells wherever he wants to? You can't go around punching holes in other people's property. Well, even if the well is on your property, couldn't you, well, sort of allow us to use it? Mr. Fuller, this well you put down has tapped my spring. I just tried to fill my bathtub and nothing comes out of the faucets. Maybe it just runs on Saturday. <laughs> there is no water anywhere in my house. You mean... Yes. Oh, no wonder we get 40 gallons to the minute. Well, Mr. Fuller, do you plug it up or do I have my men do it and send you the bill? I'll give you an hour to decide. Look, I'll pull the well out of the ground, saw it up, and stack it right in the middle of your road. Goodbye. <laughs> Mr. Kimber, you've been drilling holes in this backyard long enough. I haven't seen anything but the top of your head for weeks. Don't go down to the mine today, Kimber. Don't. The more I drill, the closer we get to water. Well, please stop for a while. You're beginning to get that cave dweller look. Yes, sir. But you know the water is looking for us. We're looking for the water. <laughs> Mr. Prescott has probably drained all the water to stay away from this place. Just, just forget it. Mr. Fuller. Hello, Mr. Kimmer. Come right in. I I suppose the Japanese beetles are coming. Uh, Three months too early for them. Oh. Afraid uh, afraid the new well is no good, Mrs. Fuller. Just struck a cemetery. A cemetery? Anybody we know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, you you better keep trying, Mr. Kimber. We've got to have water. Look, uh, Kimber. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Dig, dig, dig. <laughs> uh, zoot, Mr. Fuller, zoot. <laughs> Connie, Connie, we've got to do something about Raymond. I refuse to have that 12-year-old package of dynamite running around this house any longer. But, Bill, he's my nephew. Besides, Raymond's only been here two weeks, and after all, he's only a small boy. Couldn't you try to get to really know him better? Know him? He'd fit his initials in my leg, didn't he? <laughs> he's not the type to know better. The only way you can know that, Brad, is worse. But, Bill, it's just until my sister gets a divorce. That's the only thing that's holding it up now, is the custody of Raymond. Hmm. You mean neither one of his parents will take him? Hey, Aunt Connie, here comes that old flat-faced Mr. Prescott. The old jerk looks like he's got a push on. Oh. Uh, Mr. Fuller, this boy just threw a dead skunk in my swimming pool. I did not. It was alive. No. And this morning, he put a sign, nudist camp, right in front of my gate. Oh, Raymond, if you don't behave, your Uncle Bill is going to have to do something about you. I know what I'd like to do, but it means the chair in this state. Why, I'd turn my dogs loose on you if you weren't leaving tomorrow. Uh, leaving? But we're not going anywhere, Mr. Prescott. Oh, that's what you think. Mr. Fuller, it may interest you to know that your property is being foreclosed on Tuesday. Foreclosed? Exactly. I'm on the board of directors at the bank. At 12 o'clock Tuesday morning, Mr. Fuller, I'm buying your place. Connie, what does he mean? I, I don't know, Bill. We have the deed. You may have your deed, but you haven't got $5,000. Good day. Well, uh, there was a letter from the bank, Bill, but I didn't want to bother you. Bother me? <laughs> Just a letter of foreclosure, that's all. Oh. We seem to have paid for everything except the house. Oh, it's all my fault. What are we going to do? Sometimes if you write to Mrs. Roosevelt, the darnest things happen. <laughs> You know, Connie, I'm just beginning to like this place. Were you, Bill? Yeah. Were you really? Mm-hmm. Oh, $5,000. It doesn't sound like so much. It does when you haven't got it. Maybe we could hock Raymond for $5,000. And so... Act One of George Washington Slept Here, starring Carol Landis and Jack Carson. And now the curtain rises on Act Two of George Washington Slept Here, starring Jack Carson as Bill Fuller and Carol Landis as his wife, Connie. to give you this telegram. Only a telegram, Mr. Kimber? No locusts? No worms? No beetles? Oh. oh. Bill! Huh? Guess what? Uncle Stanley is coming. Uncle? When? Now. He must be on his way from the station. Of all the times. Oh, Bill, it'll only be for a couple of days. Oh, sure. Just for the weekend. There isn't going to be any weekend, Connie. Don't you remember? We're leaving tomorrow. Uncle Stanley, the old windbag. Well, all I can say is if we ever get his money, we've earned it. Money? Oh, money. Say, that's a wonderful idea. 
Don't you get a bill? We'll borrow the $5,000 from him. <sighs> that tight old buzzard. Do you realize he's never given us so much as a handkerchief? Just pictures. Pictures of himself. <laughs> now, Bill, that one in the guest room came in very handy. It covered a very bad place in the plaster. <laughs> Tell you, I'm sick of them. Pictures of Uncle, Uncle Stanley grinning at you in the living room, the dining room, the front hall, why, even the bat everywhere. <laughs> I'd like to find just one peaceful corner in this house where the old goat couldn't leer down at me. Hey, Bill, look out the window. Here he is now. It's Uncle Stanley. The old buzzard. Hello, children. Why, Uncle Stanley. Hello, you old buzzard. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Are we glad to see you. Constance, my dear. Hello there, Bill. Oh, Uncle Stanley, you look wonderful. Come in and sit down in this nice easy chair, Uncle Stanley. Make yourself comfortable. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Bill. Uh, now, let me see. Where's that little package I brought? Oh, yes, yes, there it is. A little something for the house with my compliments. Oh, look, Bill. A picture of Uncle Stanley. <laughs> well, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> nice little place you have here, Constance. Yeah, George Washington actually slept here. You should have seen this place before we took it over. You wouldn't have believed anybody could have slept here. This place would have given Robinson Crusoe insomnia. Now, draw your chair closer to the fire, Uncle Stanley. Yes, here, let me get a cushion for your back, Uncle Stanley. Thank you. Uh, are you sure you're comfortable, Uncle yes, Stanley? Yes, yes, yes. Ah, swell. Well, uh, oh, uh, by the way, Uncle Stanley, uh, there was a fellow in our office, and he had an aunt that was going to leave him a whole lot of money, and uh, this fellow got into some trouble or other or something, and, and he, he finally had to go to this aunt and ask her if she'd give him some money. Uh, <laughs> she was a darn fool if she did. <laughs> uh... uh... <laughs> Bill is trying to tell you something, Uncle Stanley. We're going to lose this house if we don't get $5,000 tomorrow. $5,000? Oh, we wouldn't ask if we weren't desperate. You see, we, we, we both felt that if Connie could have just that much of her inheritance now, why... You see, it... Uncle Stanley, this house means so much to both of us. That's all very well, Constance, but people shouldn't go about buying things they can't afford to pay for. Surely, Uncle Stanley, a man of your means... That has nothing to do with it. I'm sorry, Uncle Stanley. It, it was my fault, not Bill's. But $5,000 can't mean very much to you, and it means an awfully lot to us. It's quite a shock to me, Constance. You're the first one in the family that's ever asked for money. As a lesson to you, I'm afraid I've got to say no. Uncle Stanley, I'm not going to let you say no. Please say yes, Uncle Stanley. Bill, Constance, I'm going to tell you something. <clears throat> I haven't got a plug nickel. Not a cent. What? I haven't got a cent. Went broke in 1929, clean broke. Oh, you're joking. No, I'm not. <laughs> I just don't get it. Uh, I get $100 a month from an annuity, the only thing I have left. Well, why did you go on fooling everybody all these years? Well, children, I'll tell you. When I found I was broke, I didn't like the idea a bit, so I said to myself, if you don't let your nephews and nieces find out, you can still have a wonderful life just visiting around. It'll be a cinch. This is the dirtiest trick I ever heard of in my life. A professional homesteader. <laughs> Oh, Bill, I'm going to miss this place terribly. Just little things. Walking upstairs to bed at night, putting around the place. Oh, I don't know, the whole feeling that it's yours, inside and out. Yes, sir, a little place in the country. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of the Japanese beetle. <laughs> Say, Bill, I just want you and Constance to know that I'm very sorry I didn't have the money to give you. Oh, that's all right, Uncle Stanley. Don't, don't, don't give it a thought. It doesn't matter now, anyway. 
easy, Hester. Your pie isn't so hot anyway. You bring that piece of pie back here. I can now. I took a bite out. Mm. Huckleberry Capone. <laughs> I suppose we'll have to give Hester notice. With that kid commando around, she'll probably be glad to retire to a boiler factory. Raymond, come on out in the yard with me. I want to have a talk with you. Okay. Excuse us a minute, children. Mm. Okay, I'm listening. Well, you know that Aunt Connie and Uncle Bill are going to lose their house. Yeah, I heard about it. They aren't losing much when they lose that fire trap. See, now there's an idea. Yeah, but I got an idea how to help them. And I need your assistance. Yeah? What's in it for me? How about $5? The fire would be worth that. Make it 10 in cash. All right, 10. Now listen, I want you to get Mr. Prescott over here. Do you think you could do something to make him chase you back here? Do I think? Say it's a cinch. Now where's the 10 bucks? When the job's over, I'll pay you. Now run along and bring Prescott back. Well, okay. Uh, Raymond, on your way. George Washington may have crossed up the Delaware, but here's where your Uncle Stanley crosses up Mr. Prescott. When you uh, leave, uh, where are you going to live, Mr. Fuller? Under a newspaper in Central Park. Look us up. Got a whole wheelbarrow of fertilizer out by the front door. What better do with it? Oh, just leave it there, Mr. Kemper. Maybe Mr. Prescott can take it home for his roses. Well, it's paid for. Seems just a shame help, not to... Help, he's just behind me. For heaven's sakes, who's just behind oh, you? Mr. Fuller, I've stood all that I'm going to stand. That boy threw mud in my face. Why, Raymond. And all that fertilizer out there are paid for. <laughs> I tell you, if it weren't for the fact that you're leaving tomorrow, I'd have you thrown out now. Mr. Prescott, until tomorrow, this property is ours, and I'll thank you to get off of it. In other words, you've got your road out there. Hit it. It'll be a pleasure. I shall put the matter of personal damages in the hands of my lawyer. Raymond, you may go to your room. Oh, gee. You heard me. Oh, whoever said it was peaceful in the country. Hello there. Where is everybody? Surprise, surprise. A visit from your old Uncle Stanley. Hey, what in the head? Uh, what's going on here, Constance? Is something wrong? Don't tell me I'm late. I brought the check with me. Check? The check? Yes, the $5,000 you phoned me about. Is it? Oh, oh, yes, the check. Yes, I see. I beg your pardon. I don't believe I've met this gentleman. Ah, uh, this is Mr. Prescott. Uh, how do you do? I'm Stanley J. Menninger. Well, Mr. Prescott, it seems the property will still be ours, eh? You you mean your uncle here is, is paying off the mortgage? <laughs> yeah, Mr. Menninger. Mr. Menninger has the five bucks, but they wouldn't give me a dime for your cufflinks. The man at the pawn shop said they're phony. Oh, so... Mr. Menninger is reduced to pawning cufflinks, but says you pay the bank 5000 Why, Uncle Stanley. Well, it almost worked. There's a jail for people like you, Mr. Manager. Now, Mr. Prescott, where's your sense of humor? It was all in fun. Well, possibly you won't think it's so funny tomorrow. I'll see that my dogs escort you out of here personally. Oh, Mr. Fuller, Mr. Fuller, look what I found. We were digging, I brought up this old boot. It had an old letter in it, too. Fell out when we dug it up. An old letter? Who's it addressed to? Let me see. Uh, nobody. It says, notes on a speech to the armed forces. Armed forces? Why, that must be... What, is, what does it say, Bill? Read it. Uh, gentlemen, we are facing a time of peril so grave in our brief national history that there is now only the choice of serving the country a little longer or having tomorrow no country to serve. Under the favor of Almighty God, we have become a nation. Let me say to you that I hate war. But if we remain one nation... One people, 
That time is not far distant when we may choose war or peace as our national interest, guided by justice. In the words of Tom Paine, these are the times that try men's souls. Tyranny like hell is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us, that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. Tis dearness alone that gives everything its value. And it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly rated. George Washington. George Washington? Gosh, uh, what's the date on that? Uh, November 10th, 1777. This document is priceless. It is. Uh, well, think we can get 5000 for it? Ten times that. Why, I know a half a dozen people who would buy it in two minutes. Uh, well, Mr. Prescott. Well, I... Uh, well, what if it isn't genuine? I assure you, Mr. Prescott, it is genuine. This will more than pay the bank back tomorrow. Goodbye, Mr. Prescott. Look out that wheel bar. Uh, uh, oh, there's none left for his roses. <laughs> oh, Mr. Fuller. Mr. Fuller. What? Close the door. They're here. Who's here? The Japanese Beatles. Millions of them. Japanese Beatles? Yeah, what do we do with it, Mr. Fuller? Let General MacArthur take care of them. Come on, Connie. This is the end. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Carson and Miss Landis, for bringing us the story of George Washington Slept Here. The Lady Esther Screen Guild players are indeed grateful that you could be our guests tonight. Thank you, Mr. Bradley. We're all aware of what fine work is being done by the Motion Picture Relief Fund and Clinic. And to know that the benefits from this program support that work makes our annual appearance for the Lady Esther Screen Guild players a real pleasure. We'll be back soon. And now, before we tell you about next week's program... Here's a word from one of America's best-known beauty authorities, Lady Esther. Thank you, Miss Landis. Ladies, can you look in your mirror and say, my skin is just the way I want it to be, smooth, fresh, and youthful-looking? Or are there telltale signs of age around your eyes and mouth? Does your skin seem dry and rough to your fingers? Do you have a tiny blackhead here and there, perhaps a few big pores? Well, you can have the kind of skin you dream about. You can have a radiantly clean, fresh-looking skin that everyone admires. And all you need is just one cream, Lady Esther Four Purpose Face Cream. Many women say it's the most beautifying face cream they've ever used. All I ask you to do is try Lady Esther Four Purpose Face Cream. See how the dry flakes of skin are loosened and absorbed. How the very texture of your skin seems suddenly a lot finer and softer. Notice how much smoother face powder looks on your skin after you've removed those dry, clinging flakes. Remember, Lady Esther Face Cream is all you need, for it thoroughly cleans your skin, softens your skin, helps nature refine the pores, and leaves a smooth, perfect base for powder. Many women say their skin looks a lot younger and lovelier <clears throat> after the very first application of Lady Esther Four Purpose Face Cream. <laughs> The Lady Esther Screen Guild players will present Design for Scandal, 
It will star Olivia de Havilland and Walter Pidgeon. Be sure to listen. Carol Landis is currently working in the 20th Century Fox production, Four Jills in a Jeep. Jack Carson can now be seen in the Warner Brothers production, Princess O'Rourke. And he can also be heard Wednesday evenings on this network in his own Campbell Soup radio program. Music on tonight's program was arranged and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. For economy's sake, get the largest size of Lady Esther four-purpose face cream and the larger sizes of Lady Esther face powder. This is Truman Bradley speaking for Lady Esther, saying thank you and good night. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. clock says we have to skedaddle, folks. Thank you so much for listening. Bye for now. If you've enjoyed the shows you've heard during the past hour, Be sure to tune in again next week, same time, same station, when once again, we'll listen to programs that are remembered today thanks to the involvement of Canadians in old-time radio. This is Devin Wilkins speaking.